You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national and international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast. And unlike other commercial radio stations, we're not a commercial radio station, or the government guild at ABC, I don't get paid and you don't get paid for listening <laughs> or do you and we do have no adv- advertising my name's joseph toscan wonder what anarchy is all about simple concept it's so terribly simple nobody knows what it means anarchos without rulers so what is the mission statement if you want to if you want to be religious of anarchism the mission statement of anarchism is to destroy remove the institutions which give rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people. And what are these two basic fundamentals? It doesn't matter your cultural background, what language you speak, your sexual orientation, gender, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. It's inequalities in power and wealth. That is what allows rulers to determine the fate of people, whether they're religious rulers, whether they're secular rulers, whether they're elected, whether they're appointed, and whether they're self-appointed. It's the same concept. Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, devolve power, possibly through direct democratic mechanisms, and to hold health in common and use it for the common good. So it's a struggle against hierarchy. Now, if you think it's impossible, think again. Since time immemorial, people have struggled to determine their future collectively. Right, full steam ahead. Look, what I've noticed in 2022, it's already the second month of 2022, is the amount of resignation. Resignation in the community that nothing will ever change. Now, we have seen an anti-vax movement which has in many ways hijacked a lot of the struggles which are fundamental to having a a decent life in this country. And I I still cannot believe seeing people strut around shouting freedom, freedom to spread disease, freedom to exploit, freedom to do this, freedom to do that, but nothing about freedom from want, freedom from fear, and the list goes on and on. But we will address that. So full steam ahead. Now, there's a federal election coming up in May and there's a state election in Victoria at the end of November and I think there's some state elections around the country. Now, whether you vote or you don't vote or you vote informal, 
All right. The problem is participation. Democracy, rule of the people, by the people, for the people, only occurs if there's active participation at all levels by the people. And by participation, I don't mean casting a ballot every three to four years and then folding your hands and sitting down and saying, hmm, somebody should do something about that. That's got nothing to do with democracy. Maybe it's everything to do with representative democracy, but nothing to do with the concepts of uh, direct democracy. So what we are seeing is too many people folding their arms, waiting for some messiah to show them the road. Well, it doesn't work that way. So what have we got planned? It's all very well to, you know, open your mouth and say, do this, do that. But what have we got planned? Well, an organisation I'm the uh, registered office for, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, uh, is basically based in Victoria. We do have members interstate, but uh, the, the bulk of our membership is in Victoria. We're interested in being registered as a state-based political party in Victoria and also a, registered, a federal political party. We were hoping to be registered for this federal election, but because the government and the opposition are so concerned about the emergence of op- opposition groups, grassroots opposition groups, the uh, mandatory, oh, you like that word, the mandatory numbers to form a political party were raised from 500 to 1,500, which is quite an extraordinary number when you think about it. So were there protests in the streets? No. Oh, there was one or two articles. No. I mean, I wrote a few things. A few other people mentioned it. The fact for a stroke of a pen, at least two-thirds of the registered political parties in this country will not be able to stand candidates because they'll become deregistered in the near future because they won't have the 1,500 members. And the ability of new players to become involved is greatly reduced at the uh, federal level. But when it comes to real struggles in this country, it seems that people have been mesmerised, mesmerised by crap. That's right. Head full of shit, mouth full of shit. That's all I can say. What I'm interested in is looking at COVID-19, not in terms of what it is, how it's spread, vaccination, none of those things. But I'm fascinated in the response, not just in the general community, but in governments at all level. And I think what, well, I know, not think, I know, because I I don't use the word believe. I mean, that's a bit wishy-washy, isn't it? I know the failure of most of the initiatives can be laid at the door of the private investment for private profit model, which has been used to combat COVID-19 in this country. Not all sovereign nation-states have used the private investment for private profit model. Some have used a a state-based method, some a combination. But Australia, to a significant degree, because of the privatisation agenda over the last four decades, finds itself in a position where it doesn't have the staff and the corporate memory, you like that word, corporate memory, in the public service to offer 
any real solutions. So when it came to hotel quarantine, which turned out to be a disaster around the country, not just in Victoria, private investment for private profit was the mantra that caused that. When it came to the vaccination rollout and how slow it was, private investment for private profit. Again, that was the mantra. When it came to messaging, private investment for private profit. When it came to hospitalisation, underfunded, understaffed, public hospital systems, under pressure because of the private investment for private profit mantra, which sees billions of dollars of taxpayers' money diverted to the private health insurance sector. When it comes to aged care facilities and the disasters that occurred pre-COVID-19, it's the private investment for private profit model. See, the problem is this. If you're a government and you've got taxes to spread around, and the amount of taxes revenue you have is to a significant degree interrelated or related specifically to the types of laws you have in place. And if you have laws in place which hold the private investment for private profit uh, concept as godly, then you find yourself in this situation. Because when you give $1 to a private company to carry out a service, and especially an essential service, which should be carried out by the public sector, 40 cents of that dollar goes in administration costs and profits. Because no privately orientated private investment for private profit company is going to put its hands out for government money unless there's that profit aspect. And if you can actually... You know, form corporations, as we've seen with NDIS and the early childhood development area, which is dominated the private investment for and the aged care sector dominated by the private investment for private profit mantra. Well, then you see forty percent of taxpayers' money lost before you even tackle the problem. And it was the same with the COVID nineteen issue, quarantine disaster, private investment for private profit, vaccination rollout disaster private investment for private profit, rapid antigen testing, disaster, private investment for private profit, personal protective equipment, disaster, private investment for private profit, vaccinations, issues, private investment for private profits. Things got so difficult that the federal government gave CSL, a privatised public Australian company, a billion dollars in order to ensure it would produce vaccination, but they put their money on the wrong horse, AstraZeneca. So I think what COVID-19 has highlighted is that as far as the private investment for private profit mantra is concerned, even in a capitalist society, even in a society like ours, which is dominated by that mantra, it is in no position to provide essential services to the community. And when you've got governments in place 
whose sole responsibility seems to be keeping government away from the worst excesses of the private sector, then you get these disasters. Now, you can you know, spread this out to many other areas. I'll give you another example. Currently, there's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a sniffle. You like that sniffle in the corporate-owned media in the government guild at ABC about Pacific Islanders who've been brought across to this country to do agricultural work, and they're not happy. And they're talking about the revival of blackbirding. So, what was blackbirding? Well, blackbirding was a simple concept. You have a nice, shiny sailing ship, you turn up, this is in the 1880s, 1890s, you turn up at a Pacific island, you'd make all the locals welcome, they'd turn up in their canoes and then all of a sudden the ship would you'd bring them downstairs to look at the goodies, close the uh, hatch doors and off you go. Then you come to Queensland and northern New South Wales, you offload these people who become indentured workers who work for Decades for board and lodging. And then on the first of January nineteen oh one, when this country becomes when this country is born, well what do you do? What do you do? You deport them. You deport them, although they've been here for decades. So we've learned a lot of good lessons from nineteen oh one in this country. Currently we've got the same issue. People are brought across to do agricultural work mainly, and some abattoir work. Because the wages there are relatively low and most Australians wouldn't be able to survive on those wages. But, you know, it's Pacific Islanders, well, it's good enough. Then you take things out of their pay. Board, lodging, transport, food, and the list goes on and on. And at the end of the week, you've got the old company store problem. That's right, you owe the company store more than you earned that week. And so people are beginning to arc up about the way they are being exploited. It's the same concept with these temporary work visas that are made available in this country. Before COVID-19, one in seven Australian workers on a temporary work visa. And what's, what was the point? It's very simple. You bring across people who need the work, and I've got nothing against the temporary workers. I mean, they've taken advantage of an opportunity. But when they get here, they find that truth or fact and fiction are two different things. And the fact is, they're basically non-unionised, poorly paid, exploited workers who keep the circle of small business to a large degree, especially in the hospitality area, functioning. And when this workforce dries up, these small businesses can't exist. It was like the 7-Eleven fiasco, where 7-Eleven was selling franchises to people and the only way they could actually make any money out of the franchise was by, you know, not paying their workers the, the award wages. So it's the same concept, private investment for private profit. So if you really want a society, if you really want a society that 
needs to, you know, move away. If you really want some type of fair society, and you may not want a fair society, and I know there are people in this country who don't want a minimum wage. Yeah, they don't want workers to have a minimum wage. They don't want even the Fair Work Commission we have, and the list goes on and on. We need to be looking in other directions. And it's important we look in other directions because we are a very, very, very rich country. You may not be individually rich, but this is an exceptionally rich country with an exceptionally small population of 25 million. Exceptionally small population. When you've got 25 million people on this, in this country... With 700,000 children living in poverty, up to a million they say these days, with private charities trying to raise money, sponsorships, in order to ensure that Australian children can go to a public school, you really must question the type of society we live in. I do a lot of travelling around the uh, Victoria, and it's chalk and cheese land. You go to certain suburbs, they have everything. You go to other suburbs, they have nothing. And what's the difference? Income levels. Insecurity versus security. It's very simple. Some communities during COVID-19 felt and continue to feel the burden, the financial burden. Others' community shrug it off, especially our corporate sector, which has got an $18 billion handout could you imagine the shock jocks, the media, you know, the politicians carrying on if Social Security beneficiaries were given an extra $18 billion accidentally and there was no mechanism by which they could claw back that money? We saw that before, didn't we? You know, where people were being driven to suicide for a few thousand dollars by the Commonwealth Government because of bodgy accountancy, you know, the robo-debt fiasco. So what I'm saying is it's all joined together. Join the dots. Many, not all, but many of the problems that we face as a community, whether it's social interaction, whether it's divisions in society, whether it's our ability to tackle the climate emergency, whether it's our ability to tackle pandemics or health emergencies, whether it's our ability as a nation to look after our children, whether it's our ability, that's right, whether it's our ability to come to some type of arrangement with this country's First Nations people, is to a significant degree determined by the economic system which dominates every aspect of our lives. And that's the private investment for private profit system. Some people call it capitalism. And while that remains the dominant ideological and philosophical position which is held by most of the major political parties in this country, then the possibility of initiating change to ameliorate this situation will not occur. Now, the federal election juggernaut is upon us. 
and we will see the whole election campaign reduced to two men, you know, two leaders, a personality contest. And when it comes to issues, we'll see them brushed aside. And it's discussion about issues because of the great power which is held by institutions, media networks, and people in authority in this country, you'll find the discussion will be limited to changes at the edges. That's why we form public interest before corporate interests. I mean, public interest before corporate interests is not an anarchist organisation. It's not even a radical organisation. It's a reformist organisation which was set up to re-raise, to raise ideas in our community, to get people to think outside the box, to get people to join the dots. And when you join the dots, what do you see? Private investment for private profit in every aspect of life in this country. That's what public interest before corporate interest was set up for. And whether it's through direct action or whether it's through reforms, whether it's through petitions, whether it's through discussions, whether it's through public meetings, whether it's through involvement in electoral politics, the issue today in 2022 is to raise issues, is to raise ideas. You know? is to raise ideas in the community. Ideas that be, go beyond the divisive, divisive crap which seems to be the 2022 mantra, you know? Country and city, gays and straights, black and white, English-speaking people, non-English-speaking people, vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, the usual, with a little bit of extra with the anti-vaxxers, the usual crap which doesn't actually look at the root causes of what's going on. Doesn't look at them. No discussion. No debate. It's all about making things easier for the private investment for private profit crowd. Now public interest before corporate interest obviously will get involved in the federal election and various state elections around the country. Not on the basis of reacting but on a proactive agenda. A proactive agenda. I'm sick and tired of reactive campaigns, people reacting to what the government is going to do. I'm going to do this and we're going to react and do that. I'm talking about proactive campaigns. Campaigns like adopting the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which Indigenous representatives put out in 2017, which has basically been buried and forgotten. Campaigns regarding a universal basic income, which would resolve most of the economic issues which people face. Which means that people wouldn't need to live in unsatisfactory domestic situations because they don't have the resources to do something about it or separate. 
things like more money into the public and private public health sector. Think about it. In Victoria, which I'm familiar with, it's got the lowest costs per capita in the country. Unbelievable. Things like public housing, a well-funded public education system, things like setting up a third tier of the economy through cooperatives and collectives, things like challenging the monopoly a handful of individuals and corporations have regarding the development of this country's natural resources, especially mineral resources. When we see the billionaires protesting a decade ago because a government was going to introduce a super profits tax. Ideas like nationalising this country's mineral resources. Or, that's a little bit too radical for you, I'm just talking about nationalising without compensation, if that's a bit too radical for you, why not? 80% of any profit goes, into the, goes back into the Treasury. The Norwegians do that with their oil. They've now got a fund with trillions of dollars in it to look after a population of four to five million. And what have we got? Big holes, polluted holes around the country which these mining corporations are not willing to fill back in because it's going to cost them some money and we rely on the taxpayer to fill it in. I mean, there are many, many issues that go beyond single-issue politics. For far too long, for the last four decades, because people think a struggle against this country's institutions is impossible, it's all been single issues, and obviously there's been some success with single-issue campaigns, but only those single-issue campaigns which don't challenge the economic private investment for private profit mantra which is our mammon this country's mammon don't say Australia's a secular country it's more than that so how do you fund it well it's simple even idiots like me and people like you who listen to an idiot like me know that it's a simple concept, but it takes political will. A 1% stock market turnover tax, ka-ching, 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 40 to $60 billion per year. A 1% financial transaction tax, ka-ching, over $100 billion per year. 80% tax on mining profits, ka-ching, hundreds of billions of dollars per year. It's not a matter of not knowing what to do. It's a matter of having the political will to do this. And you don't have the political will when you have a population which is lulled into a false sense of security with by, you know, married, what at first sight, whatever it's called, some program on television, or surfing the net at all hours of the day or the night, or gaming till you're you're cross-eyed, or going down rabbit holes and YouTube holes and the list goes on and on. I mean, the fascinating thing about the World Wide Web, which has been really in existence for less than 30 years, 
the fascinating things, although it's all encompassing, in terms of the results, it's been dismal, pathetic, almost irrelevant in terms of an engine for change. Oh, it's been a great engine for the haters and those that divide us on the basis of gender, sexual orientation, culture, language, where we come from. Great bonus for the haters. We can have little haters hiding somewhere in some little nook, you know, spreading their drivel. We can see the drivel which is spread by the anti-vax movement, you know. Great institute. Great mechanism, but as far as promoting struggles which challenge the status quo, which create a new society, well, you just don't see it. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au, looking for Anarchist World this week. Facebook pages, um, public housing, everybody's business, defend and extend public housing, uh, Joseph Toscana, Toscana for the Public, YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, websites, Pipsy, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I.net. You can always download an application form to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest from the net, or we can post one out to you. Uh, whatever, whatever suits you, we're not mesmerised by the World Wide Web. Um, website... Anarchismedia.org, anarchismedia.org, tunnamall.org, and the list goes on and on. Tons of stuff. It doesn't matter how much stuff there's out there. What matters is whether people are willing to do the analysis and then do the hard yards in order to turn this sinking steamship around. And why do I call it a steamship? It's full of smoke but little action. Small of smoke. And nothing's going to highlight this more in the federal election. Now, just a few little announcements. If you live in Victoria, public interest before corporate interest is holding a picnic in the Treasury Gardens at the corner of Clarendon and Grey Street near the bandstand from midday to 3pm on Saturday the 5th of February. If you're coming along and you don't like sitting in the grass, bring a chair, bring food and drinks to share bit of informal discussion about future directions. Um, think about it. Also, don't forget that uh, public housing everybody's business in Victoria and Defend and Extend Public Housing in Victoria is reinstituting their uh, weekly vigils. They'll be starting on Thursday, the 3rd of um, February, and it'll be every Thursday until further notice from midday to 1pm on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. It's time we retook the steps from the current anti-vax movement. The steps of Parliament are for everybody, not just one particular issue. Although some people think it's the only issue, but that's a different story. Yep. And I'm going to give you a little mathematical riddle. Well, it's actually an exercise. What happens 
when you divide 2,000 by 800. Hmm? 2,000 by 800. You don't get much, do you? You really don't. I'll give you an example. Now, Mr. Morrison, the man who believes in miracles striking twice, and unfortunately, Mr. Morrison, lightning doesn't strike twice, and I don't think miracles occur twice, although you claimed your last uh, election victory was a miracle. The hand of God. Well, it wasn't the hand of God. It was the hand of Murdoch, and it was the hand of all the uh, commercial media networks and some of the ABC who got involved in this uh, extraordinary disinformation program because, you know, the last federal Labor leader had the audacity to go to an election to actually tinker at the edges with negative gearing laws. My God. I'll give, you an, I'll give you an example of how wonderful the propaganda work. I, I was speaking to a patient and she said, oh, Joe, I've changed. She said, I changed my vote. I voted Liberal for the first time in my life. And I said, oh, that, that's interesting. And I said, why? And she said, well, you know, I, I thought about it. She said, and she said to me, I didn't want to lose my pension. And I said, um, what do you mean you didn't want to lose my pension? Well, she said, those franking credits, you know, those franking credits, they're linked to my pension. I was going to lose my pension if the Labor government, if the Labor was was elected as government. I said, oh. I said, oh, I didn't know you had any shares. She said, no, I don't have any shares. I haven't got any money to buy shares. I said, oh. So it doesn't take much disinformation. And the king and the queen, or the king of disinformation, is the United Australia Party. What an extraordinary ratbag collection of people who think, who think, that they are working to unite the country. The reality is, Mr Palmer has a problem. He has $13 billion in personal wealth. He's one of the great mining magnets in this country. Magnates, magnets, whatever, in this country, all right? Magnates in this country. He has a lot of leases on future the coal development sites, especially in Queensland. Lots of leases. Now, if by some miracle some government gets into power that is willing to tackle the climate emergency, these licences may be worth nothing. So in order for him to keep his billions and extend his empire, he needs these licences. So what do you do? You set up a political party which somehow, you know, calls out somehow after the fiasco. Set up a political party. If you've got the money, you've got $100 million to spend, you've got $13 billion in personal fortune, $100 million isn't a lot, you can get a big campaign going, big campaign going for that money. And you can kind of draw people to that organisation. It's not about winning seats. That's the last thing Clive wants. What the United Australia Party will do, and I stand to be correct, and if anybody can show me I'm wrong, I'm happy to be shown I'm wrong, 
it will set up its preference list in every Senate seat, in every House of Representatives seat that they are involved in, in a way the Liberal National Party gets their preferences before the Labor Party or the Greens. That's what the United Australia Party is about. It's about uniting Clive's billion dollars because he doesn't want to see them being dissipated by governments which may, I know this is a radical concept, actually pass legislation which is for the benefit of the country as a whole, not vested interests. And the vested interests, as you know, in this country are not single-issue campaigners or anti-vaxxers or, you know, people campaigning for this or that. They're not the vested interests. The vested interests is that 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication in this country. That 1% that dominate the media. I'll give you an example. Everybody says to me, Joe, 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 you, you know, yesterday's man, you don't really understand how it works. Well, I do understand how it works. You may not understand how it works. But Joe, you see, the legacy media doesn't mean anything anymore. It's old-fashioned, newsprint, forget about it. Well, boys and girls, it's very simple. The concept of private investment for private profit in the commercial media is important, tantamount to its survival, right? Now, Mr Murdoch, there's only one national paper in this country, and that's The Australian. Now, Mr Murdoch has been pumping money into that paper for almost 60 years, and every year it loses money. And why does he do that? It's very simple. It's very simple. Because Mr Murdoch understands that if he wishes to continue, like Mr Palmer, to have his fiefdom and his billions in this country, he needs to manipulate the system disinformation, misinformation, in order to ensure that anybody who's got a reform, not a radical agenda like us, we're beyond the pale, but a reform, even a, a mildly reformist agenda is somehow considered to be horrible, terrible, akin to the man with horns and a tail, akin to the man with horns and a tail, the bloke who has lots of great parties downstairs. But what can you do? Well, you fight back. And that's... Whether you win or lose is irrelevant. What is relevant is that you fight back. If you don't fight back, nothing ever changes. Nothing changes. Nothing will change. I'm getting back to my mathematical little exercise. Why did I do it? Why did I divide it 2,000 by 800? Put it this way. Mr Morrison, looking for his double miracle, has given some of the most poorly paid workers in this country who do some of the most heaviest, dirtiest work in this country, people in the aged care facilities. I mean, it's not pleasant. Changing nappies, removing people's shit, feeding them, setting them up, getting them out of bed. It's hard work, poorly paid. Most of the sector is now privatised. And so he's going to give them 800 bucks extra. 
Now, let's say somebody works 40 hours a week. They work 50, 50 weeks. That's 2,000 hours. 2,000 hours. Yeah? 2,000 hours. So $800 isn't even a dollar extra per hour. I think it's about 36 cents or something. I haven't done the mathematics, but I'm sure you have, and you'll bring it to my attention if I'm incorrect. Because the little things that, uh, you know, we enjoy picking at. But think about it. As if that is going to cause a miracle, a double miracle, and a double miracle may occur. We may see the re-election of the Morrison-led government. But I think this time they've got a problem. And I'll tell you why. It's not because of you and me, because we're irrelevant and marginal, right? The ideas we put forward would hardly dissipate into the community because of our lack of resources. But I have a problem. The Liberal National Party gets elected and re-elected year in and year out because of the over 60, over 60 vote. Between 65 and 70% of Australians who are over 60 continue to vote for the Liberal National Party. Although it may not be in their interest. But the disasters which have occurred as a result of COVID-19, especially in the aged care sector, and the anger which is generated by the relatives of people in aged care sector may be just the straw that broke the camel's back. I have never seen so much anger regarding what's happening in aged care facilities across the country. And as most of them are privately run, and as aged care is a federal responsibility in the majority of cases, we begin to understand the problems that Mr Morrison and his cohorts face at the next federal election. At least in the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Look, I want to go back to public housing. I want to go back to public housing. I know we talk about it ad nauseum on this program, but the trouble is nobody else talks about it. There's now been a new alliance. I like this, and this is this is this is totally a hundred percent pathetic. This is the state of politics in this country. There's been an alliance formed between the social sector, social slash welfare sector and the trade union movements regarding public housing. So are they going to join us on the steps of Parliament House around the country? No. Don't be silly. That's a little bit too easy, isn't it? They want incentives. This is their program. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm smashing my head against the table as I speak. They want incentives for the private sector to invest in social housing. They've given up the fight. And everybody's given up the fight regarding public housing in this country. Almost everybody, except a few marginal, radical groups like us. Everybody involved 
in the so-called welfare sector is frothing at the mouth about all the dollars that are going to come their way as public housing, the concept of public housing, is pushed into the private sector. As we saw with early childhood development and early childhood development centres, where those that were community-run and community-owned were marginalised and those that were privately owned were lionised. And then we saw corporations, three or four large corporations now dominate that sector. And we've got a highway, a six-lane highway to the Treasury, trucks taking out money, public money, for private early childhood development. And we're seeing this same disease, and it is a disease, it's worse than COVID-19. COVID-19 is going to come, it's going to go. And then maybe there'll be another pandemic, but it's going to come and go. You know, we will, we'll reach an arrangement. Our bodies will reach an arrangement, vaccination or no vaccination. We'll all reach an arrangement somewhere. It'll come and go. But this disease, this privatisation disease, is lethal. Because what happens is most of the public money which is pushed into that private sector to provide housing for the, I like this word, the disadvantaged, it's actually the exploited. There's nobody's disadvantaged. People are exploited. It's that simple. It's simple. If somebody's got $30 billion and somebody, you know, is relying on 260 bucks a week to survive, what is that? What is that but exploitation? When you allow that type of shit, and it is crap, to continue in this country. I mean, I keep saying, this is not Bangladesh. We haven't got 100 million people living in a floodplain. We haven't got a, a million refugees from Myanmar in Bangladesh trying to survive. I mean, we've got a few refugees and asylum seekers, but we've got a great solution. We lock them up for eternity. Nine years now for the audacity of seeking asylum in this country. Nine years. Unbelievable. Well... It is believable. It is the land of Oz, the land of milk and honey. So, this leads me to my final thing. Whose country is it? Whose country is this? Let's go through it. Before colonisation, we had about 230 disparate, different groups which inhabited this country, and they had trading arrangements, a little bit of frontier. They had a few, you know, kind of warfare occasionally, internally and externally, just like any human organisations. Then the colonised came in, well, Captain Cook came in 1770 and he, you know, he kind of put up the flag and said this all belongs to King George. I think it was King George in those days. I've forgotten whether it was, two, it was George III or whatever he was. Who, what, it doesn't matter. It belongs to the Crown. Right. The convicts turn up, start working the land, under armed guard, of course, dispossess the original inhabitants, and before we knew it, hey, presto, we were the majority in this country, the original inhabitants, and we reduced to 2 to 3%, and we were it. 
the colonisers. We were it. But there was a problem. It didn't belong to the Joe Blow and Mary Ann. The country belonged to the squatters. And who were the squatters? They were people who'd come across from England with money, landed gentry, ladies and gentlemen, because the original definition of a lady or a gentleman was somebody who didn't have to work in order to live. They relied on other people's labour, slave labour, wage slavery, and the list goes on and on. So we called them ladies and gentlemen, and we curtsied and we doffed our cap because they lived off our blood, sweat and tears. Somehow, God had given them that right. The squatters had come, cleared off the original inhabitants, created their sheep runs, and hey presto, before you knew it, in Victoria, which I'm, I'll speak about, which I'm familiar with, 700 squatters owned the whole state. Then we had nine, well, then we had the gold rushes, 1984, the Eureka Rebellion, and the Eureka Rebellion was ju- not just about mining licences, it was about access to land. People needed land because digging for gold is a little bit like buying a tax lotto ticket. A few win, most don't. And as people of hundreds of thousands had flocked to the gold fields, they needed some type of land to cultivate. And before you knew it, hey presto, we all had our quarter acre blocks. It was the 60s. It was wonderful. We still had Terrionalius, the land of no one. It wasn't until 1992, the High Court of Australia, because of the case taken to the High Court by uh, uh, Father Rice, Eddie Marbo, you know, that the High Court found that there were people here. My, what a surprise. And they had prior ownership rights because of prior occupation of the land, as long as they had continuous occupation. So we all had our quarter-acre block. But guess what? We don't have our quarter-acre block anymore. Most people have lost their quarter-acre block. 40% of the population will never be able to enter the housing market. But they can enter the private rental market. whoop doo And because there's no strong public health sector, well, then they can, you know, pay till the day they die. Isn't it wonderful? What a wonderful society. So whose country is it? Is it your country? No. Is it the Chinese's country? That seems to be a, a big thing at the minute. It's a great election strategy, you know, the yellow peril. It's been used before very successfully. No, because if you look at land ownership in this country, it's not the Chinese who dominate. They've got a very small impact. Is it the quarter-acre block mob? No, they're disappearing. Is that the unit mob? Well, no, no, no. Is it the Crown? No, poor old Queen Lizzie. She's been marginalised ages ago, her and her family. No, it's not the Crown. Is it the government? No, don't be silly. They, they're selling public land as quickly as they can. I mean, currently, the Victorian government, which I'm familiar with, is found 2,500 pieces of public land which they're going to sell 
or little public little, you know, town halls and stuff like that. They want to sell it all. They sold the ports. Mr Howard sold the airports. You name it, it's been sold. They're even thinking of selling hex debts. Could you like that? They've sold the universities. It's wonderful. So whose land is it? Well, does it belong to God? No, I don't think she'd be interested in planet Earth. Too many problems, you know. She's got enough problems in the rest of the universe. So it doesn't belong to the Queen. It doesn't belong to the state. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to this country's First Nations people anymore. We made sure of that. It doesn't belong to the quarter-acre block mob because they're disappearing. Hmm. Does it belong to that 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's why there's growing inequality in this country. And while we worship at their feet and think, what heroes, what philanthropists, they don't pay tax and they give away money to their charities. What an extraordinary situation. Well, if you want to continue the discussion, you've got a number of, issue, a number of ways you can talk to yourself in the mirror. I find that very productive. You can uh, come to the picnic that Public Interest Before Corporate Interest has organised for Saturday the 5th of February between 12 and 3 at the corner of Clarendon and Grey Street in East Melbourne, the Treasury Gardens near the bandstand. Bring along food and drinks and a chair if you want to sit down and you don't like the grass or, you, like me, you won't be able to get off the grass. And I'm not talking about the smoking variety. That was a very bad joke. You can ring, you can ring us up. Uh, Leave messages on 0439395489. I don't answer the phone. I'll tell you why. I get a lot of funny calls. But if somebody leaves a message, I'm happy to ring back, even if it's rude. 0439395489. There will be application forms to join public interests at the picnic before corporate interests. YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. I think it's the least viewed YouTube channel in the world, but that's something you can look at. Facebook page, Joseph Toscana, Toscana for the Public. And yes, you can write. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. We've been looking at the Commonwealth of Australia, and unfortunately, it's not the right name. It's not the Commonwealth. It's the one percenters, and I'm not talking about outlaw bikey gangs. I'm talking about a much more powerful gang, that one percent that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of these wonderful folk at the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Keep a smile on your face while you're smashing the state. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Brainwash minds. Oh, larger.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.